let's do this. Okay, 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 go. Yeah, I'm going to turn this down a little bit. <laughs> we were being loud. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll leave it where it was. Yeah. I'm Latina loud. Does it, have a, does it have a button? I'm nervous. I don't have an indoor voice. <laughs> it does. Yeah. See this minus 20 here? Yeah. <laughs> Put it on that. I'm Todd Lyons. I'm Valeria Sosa. I'm Natalie Crandall. And I'm Abe Greenspoon. And this is the Innovate On Demand podcast. On this edition of the program, self-help. Reflections, realizations, and suggestions for a path forward for those who struggle to innovate in the public service. What to look for in other people and within yourself when the frustration makes you feel like quitting. with our guest, Abe Greenspoon, who's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, what it means to work in innovation in the public sector. Great. Well, um, what I thought about was just give you some of my reflections on some of the work that I've been doing um, with free agents in particular. It's given me a kind of a good perspective on like what it's like to work on something different and innovative and trying to influence change in the public service. And the place I started was I started thinking about, you know, it's tough. Like it, it can be, there are days when this job can be a slog. And days when um, when it's an incredible amount of work, and when um, when you kind of want to give up <laughs> and just stop and go back to like a regular nine to five job and just um, put in your time, um, and it's tempting sometimes to think that way. I think I'd be bored if the, if I tried to do something like that. But there are days when I think, why am I doing this? Like, why am I putting myself through um, this sort of like stress and this challenge that I'm kind of facing personally? What I've kind of figured out is that it's really important to have perspective. There, there are so many days when I love my job. I, I Overall, I think I feel so fortunate and grateful to be in the position that I'm in. Um, you know, a great salary, great job security, but also like a real opportunity to solve some big problems, you know, and think about how I can influence systems to solve problems for Canada on a, on a much broader scale. Um, and it's so easy to get sucked into your work and think about you know, all the diff- different challenges you face, the difficulties, the stressors on you um, every day. And, and I talked to so many people in this community about their their challenges, the, 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 the challenge of balancing life and work and finding a good space for you to feel good about your work. But I think if you can just sort of keep perspective on like the opportunity you have and the contributions you make and and like the fact that you're in a really good position just working in the public service in general gives really good perspective and it and i think it helps it helps me get through those really difficult times it's very interesting uh how you're articulating this Abe, because it's something i've been thinking a lot about is what are sort of the the challenges or the barriers to our culture or work environment for innovation you talked a little bit about the stress and the challenge of actually doing innovative work within the public service and how, you know, maybe a nine to five job wouldn't have those kinds of stresses. So maybe we could unpack a little bit what that is and 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 kind of think about how we might be able to mainstream innovation in a different way. Yeah, I, I, I definitely I appreciate the question. I definitely think so a, a few things like one thing that comes to mind first is that I think this idea of like an innovation group or an innovation bubble or an innovation 
kind of class in some ways I think about it is really um, uh, not a great way to think about things. But but we've kind of set ourselves up that way. We've done things like we've created innovation hubs and labs. We've created teams of innovators. We've identified innovative things. And then by doing so, we've set up the opposite, right? We've sort of put everybody else into the opposite bucket. Mm-hmm. And uh, and like, I'm like, what's up with that? <laughs> like, why, like, why do we do that? And what's the value of that? And, and I know we don't mean to do that, but, but like, that's not a good place to work from because now every time, if you're working in that sort of way, and if you're thinking about things in that sort of way, every time you've, you'll have a conversation with someone who is, who perceives themselves as outside of that group, there's already going to be a barrier. You're already going to have a wall. You're going to have resistance from those people who probably want to see themselves that way and want to think about themselves that way, but you've set it up as sort of that dichotomy, that oppositional, confrontational relationship from the very beginning. And that's not a good place to be. So a lot of the stress comes, I find, when um, when people see us that way, see me that way. And I'm responsible for some of that. Like, I'll admit, and the place I always want to start is to look at myself. Like, what are the things that I'm doing? And I find I create a lot of that stress myself when I revert back to that mindset of they're the problem, I'm the solution, and I just need to solve them. I need to fix them because they're broken. And that setting things up that way, it's, it's a losing formula. And so when the stress comes, I find, is when, when I set it up that way and in conversations when you bring the person with you, when you try to understand where their head is at, what they're thinking about, what's their experience – um, I mean, a lot of it is similar to the idea of user centricity, just understand the person and their experience. That's where empathy comes in. And I think that like our stress comes from having, from lacking empathy, from not being able to understand the experience of the person we're trying to work with. First of all, I just want to ask, how often do you have these feelings? Of <laughs> how stress? Often? Yeah. Yeah. Like, is it weekly? Is it monthly? Probably it every daily? day. <laughs> <laughs> and it comes and goes. And there are sometimes yeah. when it's more or less. But it's really hard to be able to lose your ego, to lose the importance of your own personal success and understand the success of the organization or the success of the team or the success of the whole public service or the success of Canada and your position within that. And and when I get stressed out, I find it's when I lose sight of that. And that happens daily. It's a constant practice of trying to remind myself to get my head back to where I need it to be, which is thinking much bigger, thinking much more contextually about about why I'm contributing what I'm contributing. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I do think that the concept of pigeonholing some people as innovators and therefore others as not innovators is incredibly damaging to that very culture that we're working all of us so hard to change within the public service. Um, we're all innovators because innovation is actually well, in a lot of ways <laughs> precisely the kind of culture. There's going to need to be some serious editing here, Todd. Oh, no. We're, this is going in as is. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, the point is, is that as soon as we start, as you say, Abe, labeling some people as not being innovators – then, then that is, um, that's a very dangerous position to put them or anyone else into. There is no us and them, right? The whole public service needs to, uh, become more agile, learn how to shift to pivot to be more innovative. Uh, for me personally, I think that's a set of methodologies that actually will, will spark innovation. Um, 
and that I think it's something that needs to be widely done across the public service. If I were ever asked, you know, what what is a job in the public service to which we do not need to apply the innovation lens? Mm -hmm. I don't think I can answer that mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. So I can't accept a public service where we, we we position people as not being innovators. Yeah, definitely. As as you guys were speaking, actually, it just made me think of the difficulty it is when you use labels and jargon, um, and how exclusionary it is. And I think whenever a trend appears in government, you're going to find this, right? Totally. It happens with, I think it happens with our, I call it the letter number cast system that we've also created. <laughs> you know, you use this, it's the policy analyst and you use that lens, you know, to perceive that or the administrative uh, streams or any of those. And the same thing I found when I started working in the innovation space, um, having a bit of a mixed background from different areas, I would he hear people speak in the innovation space and the jargon that was used in it. And I was like, that's kind of the same as this and the same as this and the same as this. But we like to use this jargon without trying to break down all of those labels and just get to the core essence of it. And what are we actually saying when we want people to innovate? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's where the focus sort of needs to be. But... It's kind of a cash 22 because if you want to tick that box that you're doing what you need to do as part of your plan, you got to use the jargon as well. So Yeah, I think a lot of what we're ta we talk about is about behaviors. Like mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is behaviors that people exhibit that are quote unquote innovative or not innovative, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and so, so like you're trying to do, I think, often one of two things. You're either trying to influence behavior or you're trying to change your own behavior, I think, right? I sometimes set it up as simply as that. And I know the easiest behavior that I can change is my own behavior. So I, I always like every day start with my behavior. What am I doing? What have I done? What can I do to, to influence? That's what we need more mm -hmm. of. Whether you have a question or no, you don't have a question. I put a point in about like some interesting skills that I think people need to develop. And empathy I mentioned already, which is one of them. But like introspection. Or I, I heard a great... Um, talk yesterday at the policy community conference, uh, a woman at Rotman talking about creating great choices. And she talked about the idea of metacognition, mm -hmm. thinking about your thinking. Mm -hmm. What is my frame of reference? What is the perspective from which I am thinking mm -hmm. and seeing things? Mm -hmm. And uh, that process of like introspection, self-reflection, metacognition is so important to try as much as you can to remove bias from the way that you behave. It's also really important just in terms of relating to other people. And so, um, you know, one of the other things I was talking about was just how important people are in the system. We sort of tend to focus on rules and processes and bureaucracy, but like what are all of those things, if not things that are implemented, created, governed by people? Right. And so the people and I've mentioned this before, it's people who have the ability to change those things, to influence those things. Those things don't exist by themselves. They are not followed by themselves. They are followed by people. And so it is the people that we're trying to influence and change. It's the behaviors that we're trying to change. And that happens through the sorts of behaviors and skills that, that I'm talking about. I just, I found myself the other day having a conversation with somebody who was helping, helping us put through a contract payment and it was related to Canada's free agents. And she said something about the paperwork and she said, well, this is all very weird. And I'm like, well, I'm like, instead of thinking about it as weird, I'm like, why don't we just think about it as new? Because this is just something you're not familiar with. So let's, let's look at it that way. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, 
it was funny to realize that that's the go-to automatically when something's just different from what you're used to in your habits in terms of doing the bureaucracy that the first thing is, this is just weird. It's, it's, I don't want to deal with it. So the next question you ask after that, in my view, is really important, right? You've come to a situation where a person feels uncomfortable about something that you're trying to get done. So what's the next thing that you want to do? And the first, the first question you could ask would be, why is this person such a jerk? Why do they hate me so much? Why do they, why are they so uncomfortable with innovation? Why are they so, why do, why do they want to maintain the status quo? But another question you might ask is like, well, why does this person feel that way? Or where have they experienced other things like this? Or how can I help this person? Um, how can I help this person help me uh, kind of overcome this, this challenge that we face together? Right. Like I always tell people that's another one of the sorts of skills that I think are really important is just curiosity, like like being um, deeply curious about people and their motivations and like what brings them to a certain way of thinking about things. And it's not that they're thinking about them better or worse. Try You have to try really not to put any value judgment on the way people behave, um, but just be curious about it, mm -hmm. curious about it to understand it, because understanding her experience in the past where she's kind of come from and what's brought her to where she is, it just it creates such a better um, kind of way of thinking about things in relationship where I think we'll see more progress when we get there because then we're not butting heads against each other. We're, we're trying to understand each other and we're trying to solve problems and make things better. It's funny, the choice of words or the choice of how we react to those things too can really dictate how then that person uh, holds their opinion. This is actually a lesson that I've learned the best from my four-year-old son, um, which is sometimes, you know, uh, someone reacts to something in a certain way and, and how you then manage that reaction and your reaction to that changes everything. So in, in some situations, someone, well, this is really weird. If you're tickled pink about how weird it is, that person might be more excited about it. And, you know, sometimes we don't need to necessarily uh, accept a negative connotation to some of these things. It's it's okay to celebrate something being different and, and to give the person the space to recognize that it's different and maybe come back a little bit later on and say, so remember that process? It was really weird. Like, how did you feel about it? Did it, how long did it take you to do this? Did, was there anything that you felt was missing? And, you know, and, and, and be able to, to tackle that culture problem from a different side. As, as you were talking, I just had a visual of taking on like an Anthony Robbins persona every time you talk to somebody who's putting up an obstacle. But there's some You're of like, that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, this is an opportunity, everybody. Yeah. This is it. This is the moment. Take it. <laughs> Change what but you there's do. The, there are, <laughs> there are funny points of opportunity there and points of leverage. Like from a systems perspective, we always talk about leverage. Mm -hmm. Where can I leverage change in something? And it's complex. So obviously there's um, no straightforward answer. But like even just asking that question at an opportunity like that at a juncture in a very what seems like a very mundane kind of routine interaction can actually be surprising in how much potential value there would be to like stopping and taking a moment to think about that. And it's and it's difficult because A, we're really busy. And B, getting into like human behavior is uncomfortable generally. And like you're probably not going to ha be having that conversation with a person that you have a lot of trust with. It's probably not a lot of like um, safety in that space. Uh, but like, but like if we can find a way to have those types of kind of complex conversations about motivations and behaviors in even those mundane situations, I think we'll be better at 
at like influencing change. I think we'll see um, better. We'll see better change. We'll see um, a lot of progress towards um, like really thinking about our thinking and thinking about our mental models and um, and being more effective because of that. We'll build more trust. We'll have more empathy for people, uh, and I think we'll get more done. Yeah, I was actually, and I think I mentioned this previously, but. Um... <laughs> The transition from the blueprint 2020 to the beyond 2020, where the focus is to change mindsets and behaviors, I think this is going to provide um, an opportunity for some excellent work to be done and advance some things in the government. Yeah, looking forward to seeing how this sort of uh, rolled out. Yeah, mm. me too. One thing, I think I've been thinking about too is that, so I like, I like the beyond 2020 model. I like the idea of influencing mindsets. And I think that's really important. Uh, I've been thinking about like how do we how do we agree on some of that stuff that we're talking about like what what does it mean to to behave in an innovative sort of way <laughs> you know and what what sort of expectations do we have and beyond 2020 has kind of tried to articulate I think some of those those mindsets that we have and I think that's really important I think um, we've been moving a, uh, we've been seeing a lot of development of things like principles and standards in the public service, because I think what we're recognizing is that policies um, as, as like rules, you know, that's, and that's one sort of thing that policies are, as rules uh, might not be the, the best or by themselves might not be the only way to influence behaviors in that sort of way. And so we're coming up with things like principles and standards or manifestos or whatever. There's all that kind of that lexicon around like a, a, a set of agreed upon ways of working and agreed upon ways of behaving. And I think those are actually really useful. We'll see how much, like how much impact they can have or how useful they will really be. But I'm seeing a lot of people go in that direction. And I'm interested in that because people do refer to now things like the one team gov principles, you know, they refer, they're starting to refer to the digital standards uh, a little bit more and so you're hearing reference to these ideas, which often actually you're seeing a lot of similarity between them, which is really interesting. Um, and we do also have to think about how they relate to the values and ethics in the public service, because we, we already have some standards of like behavior that we expect from public servants, which is really important. People relate, I think, often little to the values and ethics in the public service, but they're there and obviously you have to follow them and, and they're important. Um, and so these, so like thinking about these established sets of norms, I guess, and then reinforcing them and articulating them, I think, is one way that we'll also start to see some change and influence. Because then I think we're operating hopefully from the same, with the same sort of goals, that we're seeing some value in doing things this way. Um, for our work, that like our work will benefit from these sorts of ways of working um, wherever we are. And then if we agree on that and we understand that, that to, we understand that to be true, then we'll start working in different sorts of ways. And I think we're seeing some of that happen. And I think each individual person needs to be understanding that, um, understanding those principles, understanding those standards, whatever they are, and checking themselves first on their behaviors to see to make sure that they're following those sorts of principles or standards themselves as an individual, and then start to look at your team, and then start to look at your organization, and then start to look at the bigger picture more broadly. I'll throw in the, what I think it's I think is important to recognize complexity. Complexity, I think, is really important for me. It's what I've been thinking about a lot lately. 
and again, like this for me is a learning journey. Like it's always been, I've, I've tried to make it as much as I can a learning journey for me to figure out how to do all these things. I fail all the time. Like I miss, I miss so many opportunities because I, I lose sight of what I'm really trying to do. Um, but complexity is like one of those areas I keep coming back to, to try to solve for complexity in systems and in, um, in, in behaviors and in communities and in all of our interactions uh, with each other. And, uh, and we're, we're in an organization, a large, large organization, the public service, which could also be seen as a bunch of different organizations with their own complex cultures. Um, how do we operate in that sort of environment? And there's lots of theories out there, so I'm not even going to try to go into like ideas of how you should respond to complexity but recognize it and do some work around it and try to try to bring a, a lens of complexity to your work. I found that to be really valuable to just think about the fact that um, it's not as simple as you think it is. It's never as, as simple as you think it is. It's there's, there are always so many different elements of, uh, of behaviors and of actions and of rules and of processes in every system that you're trying to change. Mm -hmm. Um, so again, it's still something that I'm learning about something I'm, I'm going to admit, I don't know much about, but I keep seeing it and I keep coming back to it and I keep seeing people jumping the, you know, the biggest problem with problem solvers is they're not good enough at identifying the real problem. <laughs> and that is what, what makes complexity so important is that you're probably not solving for the right problem. <laughs> There's a pretty good chance that you're not solving for the right problem. And, you know, we got to do things eventually. I'm also a firm believer in actions and action orientation. But, but if, you're, if you're straight to an action without trying to understand some of the complexity, you're going to most likely be solving for the wrong problem. Or at the very least, your odds aren't great that you will solve for the right problem. So I think it's respecting that um, complexity and understanding that and that we're in a really complex system. I think that's a very important point. And I think it's one that's that's really um, it's happening all over the place within the federal public service right now, because we are in the process of really trying to become an enterprise. But you're 100 percent right. We are a collection of, of departments and agencies uh, who have very specific mandates and very specific work cultures. And so there's a, there's a huge amount of complexity as we start thinking about how do we, how do we, uh, become an enterprise and any of these overarching things that we're trying to do, whether it's about mobility for individual employees or anything like that, really, uh, require us to start thinking about things at the enterprise level. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge layer of complexity on anything we try and do. Definitely. What you said just made me think of this. I was recently speaking to a team um, and somebody was trying to bring in or they're in the process of bringing in a certain methodology for managing for managing workflow. It's a bit of a private sector perspective. So in talking about this, one question that I kept on having or I kept on bringing up was how, how. And they kept giving me the big vision, the big purpose, mm -hmm. the what the big outcome is going to be. I'm like, great, I believe all that. I, you don't have to sell me on that. What I'm asking is how. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that I kept on hearing, and I'm like, okay, so essentially what you're telling me is that you've got your plan so far, concrete, is person A is going to nag everyone into the mindset <laughs> that they're going to adopt this. <laughs> like, that's all I can sort of hear yeah. uh, um, at the moment. And it's understanding the complexity of 
the team dynamic and the group and what's going to work, not only with each individual, but as a collective, so that you can bring them along this pathway of change to get them to a point where, you know, everybody's willingly and wanting to do this and actually understands the purpose and the, and the why. Just saying this is the best way to do it is just, it's not probably going to get you there. The culture itself may change for a little while, but then people go back to their own habits and their own what feels comfortable in terms of the culture. Totally. Anyways. Good. The last, the last thing I guess I just want to say then is, and I've already said it, but I'm, so I'm kind of just reinforcing a point is that, is that through this whole kind of learning journey that I've kind of seeing myself on, I've always tried to put the emphasis on myself and my responsibility, my role in, uh, in change or in, in influencing the system generally. And, and it's, it's the behaviors that I am um, displaying uh, it's, it, uh, you have to do, it's, it's, com- it's, it's co- complicated because <laughs> you, you want to make sure you're not putting the pressure on yourself because it can create a lot of stress again. And that's something I struggle with frequently, but to see it, to not to like, to at the same time, not be so hard on yourself to understand that you're trying to figure these things out and do it with earnest, like do it with, with real, a real desire to learn about people, to learn about systems, to learn about complexity, to learn about, uh, behaviors and how you can influence that, all of those things um, so that they're better, um, and and come with humility and just sort of an understanding that you're like you're trying to learn, and you're trying to do better. And so I try to give myself space as often as I can to self-assess, to understand my contributions and what I'm doing, um, and then try to just like bring what I can to the table to like to influence the way the work is being done. So that's the position that I try to come from, and I've I've found that to be more successful for me on like a mental health in a mental health kind of way. Like I don't put as much pressure on myself. I learned that like I will learn and I can only contribute as much as I can contribute, you know, and that like I want to figure out like what motivates people and I want to figure out all of these complex systems and understand them. And I'm just kind of starting down that path to do that. So I'm giving myself space to do that too. And I'd encourage other people in the innovation space to kind of think about it the same way. Thank you very much. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. You've been listening to Innovate On Demand, brought to you by the Canada School of Public Service. Our music is by Grapes. I'm Todd Lyons, producer of this series. Thank you for listening.